This is a model that people can duplicate all over the country. Bank branches are getting sold all over the place. An investor or someone, a small business who needs an office, a bank is generally well-located with great parking and well-built. And banks hate to own vacant properties. So once they decide to sell, you can also often get a pretty good deal. Hey, this is Bo Barron, owner and managing director of Barron Commercial Group. And he's zoning out right now, but that's Timmy Barron, ADHD, actor and comedian. Oh, are we doing that? I'm already done with this. Hey, let's start over. Hey, this is Bo Barron, owner and managing director of Barron Commercial Group, and... And then this is Timmy Barron, owner in an... I don't own much. I'm an actor. I'm learning about, about commercial real estate. He's teaching me about commercial real estate. Uh, now, what's the name of our podcast here? Commercially Speaking. All right, let's do it. What a train wreck. <laughs> there is a, a shortage of the ADHD medication that I take. And um, so just letting you know that I am I have no ADHD aid um, <laughs> in this episode, and I don't know how long that's, that's going to be. So, Does the medication mute your creativity at all? When it comes to sitting down and editing a commercial real estate podcast, right, it really helps to harness my creativity within it. So if I hear you correctly, you're saying commercial real estate in general does not give you a hit of dopamine? Historically, that is correct. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about money? Let's talk about some money. Yeah, let's talk money. Does that give you a hit of dopamine? It sure does. Well, I thought what we'd, what we'd talk about today is uh, a deal that we just recently completed. But I, I think if, if we take people through this process, that it will help people think and look differently at property and maybe find some opportunities in their markets that could be similar to this. If, if nothing else, it will plant some ideas in some folks' heads about how deals can get done. Who are we talking to? Investors. Now, I'll tell you, though, you know, if there's a small business out there that would like to buy something for their own business, that's essentially what I did here. Well, let me just tell you a story. Great. Um, a little over a year ago, we had a company come and they wanted to lease our office. It used to be on Harvard Drive in Owensboro, Kentucky, and they, they wanted to lease it. Now, I operate a lot like dad used to. Every office space he ever had was always available for somebody. You know, over the course of my nearly 20-year career, I think I've leased out our office space four different times now. And the last time was a year ago. And the way that happens is, you know, this uh, old credit union building on Harvard Drive, we turned it into our office and I, I put, about, put it out on the market for lease. But I set the price high because I really liked that office. I didn't really want to move, but if somebody wanted to pay me enough, and I'd, I'd go find something else. And that's exactly what happened. Much to the chagrin of everybody else in the company, I happily uh, agreed to lease it and, and we moved. Now, I have some of this, and this is where I'm sitting right now, I've got 2,100 square feet of office space on the backside of a strip center that we own, and it's executive office suites. And so we rent them by the office. So we furnish them and had four offices available there. And so that was me, dad, top producer, Todd, and Penny. So we moved here on a temporary basis, but I'll start looking for a permanent place for us. And so my first thought is, I'd love to have a building downtown, put our sign on it, and just kind of be in the middle of of all that's happening down there. 
And so I even put a, a property under contract there. It was a three-story office building right in the middle of everything. Uh, the top floor was a 3,000-square-foot condo with a rooftop deck that overlooked the river, um, put it under contract, started to do our due diligence, uh, crunch the numbers. And it, it was one of those situations, I've talked about this before, everything kind of had to go right for it to make sense on paper. Yeah. We passed on that. And then in December 2022, I get a call from Old National Bank. Their VP, I don't know what his title is, VP of their real estate, the guy that handles all their real estate, their bank brand. Yeah. VP, VP stands for vice president, typically. Yes. Yes. Thanks for, for helping me step outside of the jargon <laughs> we often use. Sure. He used to be a commercial real estate agent over in Evansville, and he did some deals with dad over the years. And dad served him well. They worked well together. He's a good dude. And so he calls me up in December and says, hey, we're going to close this uh, bank branch on Southtown Boulevard. We're going to announce it next Thursday. And right after we make the announcement, I'm going to sign the listing agreement. So if you would quickly get me a value of what you think it's worth. And about 10 minutes after that call, I'm thinking that could be a really good office for us. So I called him back 10 minutes later and, and we had essentially this conversation. Uh, we don't buy our own listings. So if you were to sell a property and, and you hire us to list it, to find the buyer, we, we won't buy that property. And the reason is it looks bad. If I'm doing my job well, I'm spending a whole lot of time really understanding what you're trying to accomplish. I have the behind the curtain, front row seat to, to what you're trying to do. And if I use that information to then get a deal and actually buy that property for myself, there's a real potential conflict of interest there. It just looks bad. And so yeah. we don't do it. And so when I called that guy back, I said, look, there's a good chance I'd have a lot of interest in this property. And I know that creates a, a conflict of interest. So I want you to know upfront that I'm interested in this property. You know, we could probably figure out in a couple of days if a deal could be had. He was very gracious about that. And uh, I took a little bit of a risk letting him know um, about that because it could have cost us. He could have said, look, we'll try it. But then after that, I'll probably need to list it with somebody else. That would have been appropriate for him, but it worked out. We put it under contract, and at the end of March, we purchased this property. We purchased it for about $500,000, and so my idea for the space was we'll put our offices in there. The rest of it we'll furnish, and we'll rent out by the office like we've done in this property I'm in now. And so we spent $300,000 and renovated it, and we took that lobby. We took the teller line out. We took all that stuff out, and we were able to fit 12 offices right in the middle of the lobby, which gave us 18 offices total, plus oh. a nice break room, plus restrooms that were already there, and a vault, which we're turning into the Commercially Speaking podcast studio. Uh, so in future episodes, you will see us recording from a vault in a bank branch. Yeah. Just this week, uh, we got our final inspection. It's ready to go. We're waiting on the internet to be turned on, and then we'll start using this space. So the the way, though, that I evaluated was we underwrote the property. We took a look at it. Here's really what I'm trying to figure out by doing this. What kind of money do I have to put in the property, and when do I have to put that money in? What kind of money am I going to get out of the property, and when am I going to get those cash flows? All right, so our initial investment was the 300000 that wasn't borrowed from the bank. So real dollars from us, dad, dad and I bought this. And so we put $304,000 in there. We borrowed $500,000. 
And here is the mortgage data. Now, here's the nice thing when you buy something from a bank. They're more than happy to lend on the deal. So most of the time when we do a deal, I contact all my good buddies who are commercial lenders. I've spent years developing friendships with these guys. They're my friends. They're good at what they do. We've got relationships at a lot of different banks. But in this case, we're buying it from Old National. And it just made a ton of sense to give them the opportunity. They gave me great terms. So $500,000 interest rate was 6%. Amortization over 25 years. A seven-year term. So do you remember when we talked about financing and we describe the difference between amortization period and the loan term? Yes. What's the difference? So amortization means like the the payment divided by 25 years, you're paying that that that's that that number. And now the loan term means in 7 years you're going to relook at the the rates so that the banks can keep up after 7 years the loan is due. So I have a balloon payment after 7 years. Balloon payment at that point, I have to sell the property and pay it off or find all that money somewhere else and pay it off. Or I have to refinance it at the rates then. I have no clue what it's going to look like seven years from now, but there's a seven-year term. Loan fees, points, they charge a $2,500 loan fee. That's actually built in over here. And so you see my periodic payment and the annual debt service. What they actually did, and I had a hard time plugging it into the, the Analyst Pro program that I use here. They're doing interest only for the first nine months, which means I don't have a principal payment. I'm just paying the interest. And then after nine months, it goes to a periodic payment that you see here, that 3221. So I have an annual debt service on this deal. This property has to cover $38,658 a year. All right. Now, oh, here's our five years of cash flows. So potential rent income, if it's all rented up 100%, at market rates, then this should generate almost $160,000 a year. I'm factoring or I'm assuming that year one, I'm going to get to 50% occupancy. Year two, 85% and then 90% thereafter. I'm actually ahead of schedule on the lease up already and we haven't even opened. So that's really, really exciting. The other thing that I did was I just took a, a percentage of operating expenses. So I'm assuming about, I think, 27, 28% of the income will be operating expenses for this property. And so that's what this operating expense, instead of just breaking it out, um, you know, with property taxes, insurance, I just threw it all together. And so my NOI, my net operating income in year one should be $60,000. And then it goes to 103, 112. And then after you take out debt service, here's our cash flow before taxes. So if you remember, you always take the debt service out after the NOI. What we're actually going to get year one is about $21,000. And then year two, if my projections are correct, 64000 77 and just incrementally go up over time as we're able to raise rents over time and that kind of thing. Then uh, here's our loan balance before tax cash on cash year one is 7%, and we go to 21%. Now, do you remember the term cash on cash? It's uh, the cash uh, year yearly, what you'd be earning. Okay. So let me develop that a little bit. If you look at this number right here, 21,000, take 21,000, you divide it by the 304,000 that we have in it, and it's about 7%. Okay. Year two, we're going to get about $65,000 out. You divide that by the 304,000 that we have in it, right? You don't count what you financed. And now we're at 21%. Well, that's a really good cash on cash return, 24, 25, 26. 
So I start seeing those kinds of cash on cash returns, and I'm thinking this deal should cash flow very well. This also projects a sale at the end of five years. To get an internal rate of return, you need to forecast the actual sale at the end of a period. In this case, it's five years. And so based on our NOI, the end of year five, divided by, and I just told it to use a seven and a half cap. That's higher than the cap rates we've been seeing. Then we're projecting a sale of a million six at the end of five years. Now, I don't plan on selling, but if we did, that's what I could expect to get, then uh, this is commission, pay off the mortgage, and sales proceeds before taxes would be about a million one. So at the top of this, we're thinking, okay, how much money do I have to put in and when do I have to put it in? What money are we going to get back out and when are we going to get back out? And here's when we're going to get these back out. Year one, 21,000. Year two, 65. Year three, 73. Year four, 77. Year five, 80,000. And then at the end of year five, 1.1, when you plug all of that in together, it gives us an internal rate of return of 41.52%. So when I looked at this deal, I'm projecting right off the bat, man, if we do this and we turn it into hub space and we use it as our office and it does what we think it could do, we're going to make an annual return on our money. And that's what internal rate of return is. It's the average annual rate of return of 41.52%. That's a huge number. My next thought is if I'm half wrong, I'm at 20% internal rate of return and I still really like the deal. So that's what the underwriting can look like on a deal like this. So I've got a huge margin of error. That other property that I was telling you before, everything kind of had to go right for it to make sense. This one, and a lot of stuff can go wrong and it has already. Like it's taken three times longer than uh, we were told to, to finish the build out. Now, I expected it to take longer. I thought the, the, you know, the construction, the renovation was optimistic in how fast they thought they could get it done. But it's still taking longer. And because it's taken longer, I haven't been able to start collecting rents yet. It's actually cost me rental income. But I, I'm not losing sleep about that because we've got a huge margin of error with this property. Now, here's what we're actually doing with the property. This is what the property looks like. Just got the parking lot repaved. Landscapers have been out there trimming bushes. It looks really good. And so this is 4,675 square feet, 18 offices. And you can see back here is the drive-through area. There's another 2,500 square feet under roof for a really large, there's like five lanes in this drive-through. Once I lease up the 18 offices, then I'm going to build out that back 2,500 square feet and essentially add 2,500 square feet and probably another 10 to 12 offices back there, oh, which hey. makes all those numbers look better. But I don't ever have to do that, and this deal looks great. So if we fill this up quickly and it looks like there's more demand, now it's time to put more of our dollars into this deal. The property is big enough. There's plenty of parking to support those extra offices. So there's really nothing else I have to do except just build out that space that's already under roof. The roof, the roof. Oh, it better not be on fire. <laughs> the roof is already there. Okay. Here's the layout of the building. All right. So you can see our future podcast studio back here. <laughs> These are the 12 offices that we added in the lobby. The rest of this already existed. All this was already there. And so what we did was we added these 12 offices. We redid the, you know, the flooring um, everywhere, redid the paint, redid the ceilings, messed around a little bit with the HVAC to serve the new offices. 
did all that stuff. And then we furnished all of this space. And so here's Penny's office. Here's top producer Todd's office. Top producer Todd Humphreys? That's right. That gives me a hit of dopamine. Yeah. <laughs> right now I'm using this massive office uh, until I can get somebody to rent it. Uh, it's 200 square feet, huge vaulted ceilings, massive windows. It's a really cool office. So we've got four of these others already leased, and we're showing this four more times this afternoon. Nice. So it's really filling up way faster than I expected, and and we haven't even actually opened yet. Like, people can't move in yet. Now, the reason I really like, and here's why I really wanted to share the story, this is a model that people can duplicate all over the country. Bank branches are getting sold all over the place. An investor or someone, a small business who needs an office, a bank is generally well-located with great parking and well-built. And banks hate to own vacant properties. So once they decide to sell, you can often get a pretty good deal on these properties. What we did here is putting our office in here, but we've got all these extra offices. And this hub model, and that's what we call call it the hub uh, model, is... You take these offices, you furnish them, you provide them with internet, provide them with break rooms. We provide them with unlimited coffee. That's huge. That's huge for me, for sure. Yeah, me too. (laughs) All these folks have to do is sign a one-page membership agreement that is month to month. So you don't have to sign a long-term lease. You don't have to move furniture. You don't have to sign up for utilities, which often have hundreds of dollars of deposits that you have to put on it. You can start a business out of here with very, very low overhead. If COVID sent you home and you hate working from home, which is where we're getting a lot of our folks, this is a place that's just really easy to get out of the house and you can show up with your laptop and be working in five minutes. Luckily, we've done two other properties in this hub model and they've both worked very well. And so I knew the model worked. I could see the demand was still there. And so we're adding another 18 offices, but I can be half wrong and we can still really like this deal five years down the line. And so that's how you take an opportunity. You run the numbers on the front end. You see that you got a huge margin of error and a lot of upside and you make a decision to take the risk to put your capital in the deal. And if you can do what you think you can do, it can really pay off and you can get a really nice return. Well, I got a couple questions. Well, let's hear them. Cool. Number one, will you explain to me the difference between a co-working space and HubSpot? HubSpot is a content marketing platform, like kind of like Salesforce. Ah, HubSpace. HubSpace. Yep. (laughs) The term for this type of space is executive offices. Co-working space, you don't actually have your own private space. You have a desk. You have facilities, you have amenities. It's much more collaborative, generally more open space. That's not what we're providing here. We're providing private offices. You can shut and lock the door. Nobody else uses that space. When I was with SVN on the corporate side in, I think it was 2012, we would meet in Boston sometimes, and we would use a a Regis space. Regis is a, a co-working company like we work. We would use like a small conference room. That wasn't our space. We just had access to that space that day. The next day, somebody else. That's more what co-working space is. You might go there every day, but you might use different spaces every day. Executive suites, it's your space. You close the door, you lock it, you want to put pictures on the walls, you want to put up a whiteboard, like that's your space, you control it. Cool. 
are you seeing uh maybe you don't know this yet but like when someone signs up for a membership are you seeing are you seeing more entrepreneurs than you are bank workers for example is there a way to tell we know what they're doing so like in this space that i'm in right now we have uh, two realtors that are here. One of them owns his own company, and the other one owns her own company. We also have a lot of therapists. Oh. So in every one of these properties that we have, like I have a therapist here in this space right here. She actually has two offices on Harvard Drive. We've, we've got two therapists. And at this new property, two of those spaces we've already leased are therapists. One guy we showed last week is a therapist, and he'll probably take an office in there as well. Wow. Um, we've got consultants. We've got traveling salespeople who are employees, and they might use the space twice a week, but it's a great place to meet clients, potentially, because there's conference room space. So, yeah, it's kind of across the board. And it's anybody who just wants private space where they can be wildly productive and effective and they don't want to mess with all the other things that make renting office space problematic. It seems, like I said, it seems like most of them are, are commission-based. The more work they're putting into it, the more income that they're able to generate. And it seems like that those are the kind of people that need an office like this to spend 500 a month. I don't know if I, I would do that if I had a set out, a number of hours I was working at a set number hourly rate it just essentially cuts in my income however if i've got a space where i can put more focus more productivity more work into it where i can see you know that my income grow then that's uh an, an investment yeah absolutely so what we see is if somebody's a business owner or they're a startup or they're commission-based it's really easy for them to say Okay, if it's going to cost me $500 a month or $550 a month or whatever, and I'm going to put in 20 days of work. So I'm going to pay somewhere between $25 and $30 a day, essentially. Am I going to be $25 to $30 more productive every day I work in this space? And that's a pretty easy equation for people yeah. like that. Now, our sister Cody is putting one of her guys in the hub on Southtown. He's an employee. She's paying her company. Oh is paying that. Huh. And so if somebody's not commission-based or they're not the owner of their company or a freelancer or an independent contractor, a company is generally paying the rent and not the employee. Yeah. I don't know that I've had anybody who's a true employee that has decided to take space on their own dime. But yeah. some of them, they go to their companies and they make a case, look, I can be way more productive for you. I can impact your bottom line if you'll invest this space in, in my productivity, essentially. Yeah. Okay, cool. Interesting. Yeah, I was very, very curious about that. Because I thought also, too, I think it's funny that... What what was this bank? It was First National, you said? Old National. Old National. To have some people who worked at Old National that are now working from home that are back in that building doing their job... <laughs> but uh, still working for that bank, but it's no, just, I just think it's, it's. That would be that, funny. That's, yeah, that would be really interesting. <laughs> now, Old National is paying me rent because they asked to keep their ATM there. Oh. So in the drive-thru, their ATM is still there. It's still functioning. And the funny, we've had some pretty funny stories as we've built this space out. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people 
who still think it's the bank. Yeah. It looks exactly the same. They might have been going there for years. I mean, this building's 20 years old. It looks like it was built five years ago, but it's 20 years old. And so we had, um, <laughs> I took my kids in there right after we bought it. Hadn't done any of the demo, none of the work. And there's all those tubes that serve the drive through. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. I played and there with was that all that. Yeah. And they were playing with it they, just like you would have done, right? They're in there playing and they left it on. And so the next day I'm in there with the contractors talking about what's going to be done and when they're going to get started and all that stuff. And somebody sends in their car payment through the tubes that my kids left on. So they went in there. They didn't read the signs that say, you know, Old National Bank is closed or whatever. And they sent in a an envelope full of cash, oh like five, $600 of cash through there. And then she comes around and comes in the bank. And she's like, is this still a bank? And I'm like, no. And she said, well, I just paid my car payment. And I was like, how'd you do that? She said, well, I just sent an envelope full of cash, my car payment through the through the tubes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. So I was able to go back and, and get it and give it back to her. Yeah, right. But I'd say at least a dozen times I've been over there. Somebody's walked in and, hey, is so-and-so here or? Is the bank still open? Or that's a very, very yeah. creative way to 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 up your cash flow. Just turn on those tubes, keep those tubes on. Little ancillary <laughs> benefits there. Yeah. Where did this idea get, come from, Bo? Can you for the HubSpot? Do you remember what inspired for, yeah, it for the Hub Space? Yeah. So I started studying co-working space, and I really didn't love the model. I remember Dad and I made a decision to sell our residential stuff. So. Dad had some duplexes and some single-family homes that he rented out. I had a 12-unit apartment complex. We sold that stud and we both 1031'd into the same office building, which was across the street from our former office. And the company that was in there leased back some of the space. But we had about, you know, it was a 5,000-square-foot space, and we got about 60% of it was vacant. They kept and let, leased back from us 40%. And so I was looking for a tenant for this space and the company that did the sale lease back with us, they controlled at the time the the front door of the space. So if you walked in there, you were going into their office and you couldn't really get to the rest of the space. So anybody that I at least the 60% of the building to, which was nice office space, had to use the back entrance and it wouldn't even look like from the front that they were even there. And after a while, you know, a number of months, I'm thinking this is going to be really challenging to lease out. But if we do a little renovation, we spend some money, if we furnish it, I think there's demand out there where we can lease it out by the office. And when you run the numbers, it's like, man, that space would produce a lot more income if we leased it out by the office. We provide flexibility and convenience and they pay more, but they have a very small space. You know, they just have their office or maybe they take two offices. And so it works out for everybody. And so I pitched the idea to dad and he didn't like it. And I'm thinking, you know, technically he owned two third of the building and I owned a third of the building. And so I just couldn't unilaterally do it. And so it was one of those situations where I was like, look, this is going to work. And he's like, I don't think I'd do it, but it's your call. I hate it. I hate it when he says, because essentially what that means is if he's on board and it goes badly, we made that decision together. If he expresses his 
dislike for the property or for the idea and then says, but it's your call and I do it anyway and it goes badly, it's all on me. You know, so I was feeling the weight of that. But my response to his comment of it's your call, it's like, if it's my call, I'm going to do it. He said, it's your call. I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. So we did it. (laughs) We spent about, I don't know, 40 grand renovating. We took kind of a large office and a closet next to it, moved the wall and made it two offices, did a couple other things, replaced the flooring and painted. And most expensive thing was the furniture. Luckily, my good buddy, Will Jerome, who is my fraternity brother, was in my wedding. He's a furniture guy. He's got a furniture company. And so oh, nice. um, it's really easy to solve for the furniture. So if anybody in the Western Kentucky area needs great office furniture, Will Jerome is your guy. Well, I've got a funny story we, about Will when you're done. Oh, you do? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we do all this work and three months go by and nobody has taken an office. And I'm thinking, this is not going to work. And uh, and then then we get that first guy. It was on after that. And so we were probably 50% leased up in the next four months. And, and we've been full for the last year, year and a half. So every so often we'll have somebody leave and then somebody else who's already there will be like, I'll take that office in addition to mine. And it just kind of stays full. It's been a great, a great, yeah. great thing. And yeah. so when we bought this strip center that I'm in right now, we had this 2,100 square feet in the back with no visibility. It was actually, this space was actually used like hub space before. And so we just turned it back into that. We renovated, you know, a little bit, didn't take much. And this space has done really well here. And so when we got the opportunity to, to buy the bank branch, uh, I'm thinking, man, that's going to be a great permanent location for our company. And we're going to have all this other extra space that we can manage. And we're actually in the space, so it's even easier to manage. And we can fill that up with hub users. I was just looking at what was working in other markets and yeah. and thought it could potentially work here. And, uh, and fortunately, it has. Well, Will Jerome gave me a piece of advice that I've never forgotten ever. Is that right? Uh, yeah, he did. And uh, for those that don't know Will, would you say he's like, what, six foot six? Yeah, he's he's a large uh, mountain of a guy with a yeah. huge heart. You know, yeah. everybody needs yeah. Will J in their life. Yeah. Yeah. So it was at, we were at mom and dad's pool and I forget what year it was, but I think I was in from college or, or something. But he told me, Timmy, there is a point in time where you grow up. And when that happens, what you eat begins to stay on you (laughs) until that point. I wish somebody had told me this. Eat as much as you can. (laughs) (laughs) I thought this was going to be like career changing advice or something like this. No, no. He just, uh, yeah, no. Wait, before we move on from all of this, I do also want to mention Brandon Gentry is the commercial lender at Old National Bank who did the financing. And he's been a friend of the company for years. It's the first time I have actually done a deal with him. And he was great. Brandon really helped make that happen. And so I want to thank him and and Old National for giving us the opportunity to purchase the property in the first place. yeah, it's going to be a great deal for us. Woo! Thanks, Brandon. Let's do a pop quiz. Yeah! All right, pop quiz. Yeah, you talked me into it. Question number one. What do I mean when I say underwriting? You're putting it on paper. 
to see if it works. You're putting, That's you're, about forecasting, you're forecasting into the future. Stop. The first thing you said was about the most succinct and correct answer to that question I can imagine. Oh, great. Okay. Let's build it on paper and see if it works. That's what underwriting yeah. is. Yeah. I'm glad I know that now. I've, I've been meaning to ask you that for weeks. Okay. Uh, you asked me this question, so I'll ask it back to you. What's the difference between co-working space and executive office suites? Executive office suites gives you privacy. You have um, your membership uh, reserves your space. Nobody else can use it. It's, it's, it's your dedicated space. Yep. It's your dedicated space. Co-working, you don't know exactly where you're going to sit every time you show up for the most part. And it's not as private. And there's, you know, more layers and, you know, a more nuanced way to probably communicate. But that's that's the main difference between the two. Okay? Yeah. Great. Two for two. You know, we've talked about these terms before in the past. Uh, cash on cash, internal rates of return, cap rates. Well, in this case, I showed you my initial underwriting, the performa mm-hmm. that I created to project the future and to see what my cash flows were going to be. So... Let's define the terms in the context of what I did. What's the difference between cash on cash and mm-hmm. internal rates of return? Sure. Man. Okay. Um, internal rate of return. Cash on cl- cash. On cash is that, are they both, you look at them on a yearly basis or is that cash on cash? That's cash on cash. Okay. So cash on, here's, all right, this is probably way more complicated answer than you're thinking. Here's my understanding on cash on cash. Let's say over the span of five years, cash on cash is showing you the amount of money that you are making per year after you've added everything up and and looked at it in the past five years. Is that right? You got these backwards. That's a fairly good explanation of what internal rate of return is. Okay. To figure out your internal rate of return, you have to know, okay, how much money am I putting into the deal? These are my dollars that are going into the deal. When am I putting those dollars in? Certainly when you buy it at time point zero. And then ideally, if the property performs, you've got positive cash flows every year. And then at the end, you sell and you get a big cash flow when you sell. And when you put all of that in together, you can figure out the internal rate of return, which tells you on average every year, the dollars that you have in there are producing this return for you. Cash on cash on the other side, on the other hand is what? Cash on cash is the amount of cash that you're actually making that year. The amount of cash that is actually coming back to you that year. Expressed as a percentage and the equation is... The numerator is, all right, how much money came back to me that year mm-hmm. divided by the denominator, which is how many dollars did I put in the deal? Yeah. Okay. So if you have $10,000 in the deal and it produced you know, $500 back to you, then your cash on cash return for that year would be, I think, 5% if I did that math correctly, quickly in my head. Where internal rate of return, it, it you add everything up and then divide over the span of time of the, the deal. Yep. We also talked about cap rate. In this case, my projected Mm -hmm. sale at the end of five years on this deal was going to be uh, a seven and a half cap rate. What is the cap rate? What does that mean? So if the if the cap rate is going up, the value is going down. Um, That's true. What? Yeah, but like as far as what 
is the actual, the equation to find the cap rate? Value equals net operating income divided by the cap rate. That's right. In this case, I'm using the Analyst Pro. That's the program I'm using to, to do my performa, to do the underwriting. It's figuring out for me already what my NOI is. And then it divides it by the cap rate I gave it, which was 7.5%, which I think would be conservative. And what it's able to do then is take the NOI divided by the cap rate, and now it's projecting the sale value at the end of five years, which is what we're trying to do. We're trying to project the potential sales value at the end of five years so we can complete the internal rate of return analysis. All right. Any more questions? Yeah, last one. Okay. Where on earth is the coolest place to build a podcast studio? Now, the vault of an old bank? <laughs> yes, that is exactly yeah. correct. A yes. vault. The yeah. bank vault. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, I'll see you on uh, Friday. Sounds great. All right. Love you, brothers. Love you too. Alice, we'll see you later. Bye, Alice. 